Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. We're looking at verses 5 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, as your word goes forth today, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work. If the Holy Spirit is not at work, these words will fall on deaf ears. So open up our ears that we may hear. Help our minds that we may understand your word. And help our wills that we might be willing to do what you would want us to do. We thank you for Christ, and may his name be honored, we pray. Amen. What comes to your mind when you think of the word humility? What comes to your mind when you think of a humble person? Generally, people think of a person who is humble in negative terms. Humility is not a characteristic that most people are aspiring to, not a characteristic that they really maybe long to exhibit in their lives. People are not seeking to be humble. Part of the problem is that humility goes against the grain of our natural human inclination of self-centeredness. So people don't understand what humility is or what humility would look like in someone's life. When people hear the word humble or try to think of what a humble person would look like, they tend to think of a person who is weak, a coward, someone with no backbone, a pushover. A humble person is someone who's taken advantage of. A person who gets walked on by others because they don't stand up for themselves. On the other hand, the concept of glory is a goal that is pursued in our society. People seek glory. They want glory. They desire to experience fame. They want to make a name for themselves. And people will assert themselves for glory. They will aggressively pursue it. And what people don't comprehend is that the path to glory is through humility. Humility leads 
to glory. Paul demonstrates this truth by showing us Jesus Christ. This great Christological hymn is presented by Paul to inspire us to humility, of course, only through the power of the Holy Spirit, but Christ is an example for us. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul has argued in the book of Philippians that the church needs to be steadfast in the face of opposition. Steadfastness is not possible, Paul says, without spiritual unity. But spiritual unity can only come through the attitude of humility. In chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, he sets humility over against self-centeredness. Verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Don't live in rivalry or conceit. Verse 4, Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Not just your interests, but the interests of others. Consider others more significant than yourself. And we see this in Christ. Christ demonstrates that humility is necessary for our salvation to be accomplished. And we should seek to live lives of humility... By implication, receive the glory that comes with our salvation. But how can you expect people to live this way if this goes against our normal human response of self-centeredness? How is humility possible for people who are naturally self-centered? Like we all are. Well, Paul's going to tell us that humility is possible because we are united to Christ. Paul points us to Christ in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. We can live a life of humility because we are in Christ. We are united to Christ. Being united to Christ, we are to think like Christ. We have the same mind of Christ, the same thinking that Christ had so that we can live out humility in our lives. The question then becomes, how did Christ demonstrate humility? That's the question that Paul answers here in verse 6. He says, who though he was in the form of God and did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Christ did not act selfishly by holding on to his privileged position of deity. His deity comes out in the phrase form of God, a phrase that is debated quite a bit, essence or function or maybe both, but it's clear that form of God is referring to his deity. The form of God and equality with God, both of those in verse 6. So that even though Christ was God, he did not hold on to his position of deity to avoid becoming a human being. Two main verbal clauses demonstrate what Christ did. Verse 7, he emptied himself. 
course, this phrase has led to speculation concerning, well, what exactly does it mean that Christ emptied himself? What did he empty himself of? He did not empty himself of his deity. Okay, that's pretty clear. It's better to see this as referring to Christ's willingness to give up his favorable position as God. Not giving up his deity, not giving up his godness, if you will, but giving up the favorable position that he had because he was God. He gave up his riches. He gave up his heavenly glory. He gave up for a time his privileges. Some people translate verse 7, he made himself nothing. The idea of he emptied himself in verse 7 is defined by the two phrases that follow, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man. Although Christ was God and continues to be God, he becomes a slave willing to serve other people. Although Christ was God and continues to be God, he takes on himself human nature leaving his home and glory to enter into this dark, sin-filled world for our sake. He made himself nothing. Maybe we could say he risked his reputation. You pass by Christ in the marketplace, who would know that he was the eternal Son of God? Now, if you spent some time with him, you might be begin to figure out uh, the things that he said, the things that he did. This is not just a human being, but he left his glory to become a human being. Verse 8 goes on to say, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Not only did Christ become a human being, but his humility included obedience to his Father's will. This is a major theme In Christ's life, that he came to do the will of his Father, even willing to be put to death. And it's almost too shocking to consider that it's death on a cross, the most cruel way to die, the most degrading form of punishment that anyone could endure the punishment they reserved for criminals in that society. It's almost incomprehensible that Christ would die on a cross. He put our interests above his own. The ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate form of service. He counted you more important than himself. He counted me more important than himself. My salvation was more important than his position of glory. And he was willing to take upon himself humanity in order to accomplish our salvation. He did not give up his deity, it was veiled in his humiliation. When Christ hung upon the cross, people did not see God hanging on that cross. They saw what they thought was an imposter, 
a criminal, a fraud. They could not see the reality of what was really happening as they hung upon that cross. Even death on a cross. Because we are united to Christ, we should demonstrate this humility. Humility is not weakness. Humility is strength. Putting someone else's interest above your own and acting in a way that will benefit them demonstrates maturity and strength of character because you understand what Christ has done for you. And because you understand that, because we are united to Christ, we are secure enough to act in a way that puts the interests of others above our own interest. We are secure in Christ so that we do not have to selfishly grab for control or assert our own way at the expense of someone else. Humility is evidence of a relationship with Christ that displays His strength of character. To put someone else's interest above your own for their good displays maturity even if people may misunderstand it. To live in a way that is pleasing to God always brings great blessings. And who would have thought that humility is the path to glory? This is what people don't understand about humility. Instead of humility being evidence of weakness, instead of humility being a path that leads to shame, failure, and loss, Humility leads to glory. Verse 9, therefore, because of these things that Christ accomplished, therefore, God highly exalted him. There's a relationship between his humiliation and his exaltation. One leads to the other. One is the basis of the other. Christ did not allow his deity to keep him from becoming a human being. Therefore, because of his work on our behalf as a human being who was fully God and fully man, God the Father has bestowed on Jesus the Son the name that is above every name. As the eternal Son of God, he has always had this glory. But now as the Son who is both God and man, two natures in one person, he is given this exalted position. Think about this for a minute. A human being, who is also God, is exalted to the place of God's right hand. The one who has fulfilled in his human life what it means to be a human being in the fullness of humanity receives the place of exaltation as a human being who is also fully God. The humiliation of incarnation and death has led to the glory of exaltation so that now the highest name in all the universe is given to Jesus Christ, the incarnate one who is fully God. He is Lord and He is the object of our worship. 
a position of power, a position of glory, a position in which people will bow their knee to Christ. Paul, in this passage, emphasizes the results of this exaltation, humiliation, exaltation, the results of what it means for Christ. And we're going to come back to that. I want to pursue a little bit, reflect a little bit on the implications of what this means for us. It seems to me if we are united with Christ in His humiliation, will we not also be, are we not also united to Him in His exaltation? Is it not true that if we suffer for Christ, we will also participate in His glory? Now, our suffering does not accomplish what Christ's suffering accomplished. Our exaltation is not in any way on the same level as Christ's exaltation. He has the name that is above every name. We don't. He is the one worshipped, not any of us. But what is true of Christ is true of His people. Humility is the path to glory. And that glory will include our victory. And that glory will include the defeat of all of our enemies. Paul does not expound upon that here in Galatians 2, 5 through 11, but there is evidence in other passages of Scripture as to what this might look like. Romans 16, 20 says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Paul says to the church at Rome, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. In some way, we participate in the victory and the glory of Christ. And I wish I fully understood this. I don't really fully understand this. But there's evidence throughout Scripture of what this might entail. You could start in Psalm 149, which talks about God's people participating in victory over the nations and carrying out the judgment that God has written against the nations and it ends with this is honor for all his godly ones revelation 321 we read that for our statement of need this morning has this statement by christ the one who conquers i will grant him to sit with me on my throne the one who conquers i will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down on my Father's throne. It's amazing to consider that, isn't it? And then an even greater passage, you might say, Revelation 2, 26 to 27, in the, the letter to the church of Thyatira, the one who conquers, I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself, Jesus says, have received authority from my Father. And what's amazing in that Revelation 2, 26 and 27 passage is that this language reflects the exact thing that is said about the anointed king in Psalm 2. And what that anointed king of Psalm 2 will do, you will break them, 
the nations with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like pottery. And now we are told in Revelation 2 that the one who overcomes will in some way participate in this great victory of Christ. I don't think this is going to take place until Christ comes back again. But as Christ has received authority from the Father to be the ruler of the nation, so we in some way will receive authority from Christ to participate in the victory of Christ over the nations and over all of His and our enemies. It's astounding. The same terminology used of Christ is used of us. Humility is not the path to weakness or failure or loss, but humility is the path that leads to victory, glory, and gain. What incentive to live in a way that we know will lead to victory, not because of us, but because of what Christ has done. So don't worry about people who think that if you submit your life to Christ, you will appear weak. Oh, you need that crutch religion, I see, because you're too weak to make it in life yourself. I don't need that crutch religion. Humility has always been misunderstood. People could not comprehend how Christ could be a king and end up on a cross. Surely that's an evidence of failure. Now, if you pay attention to John's gospel especially, you see very clearly as Jesus is on the way to the cross, he is in complete control. In John 18, when they come to arrest Jesus, he identifies himself as, I am he. Verse 6 says, they drew back and fell to the ground before the assertion, I am he, I am God Almighty. When they came to arrest Jesus in Matthew 26, 53, Jesus said that he could have called to his father to send ten legions of angels to deliver him. He did not have to go to the cross. He tells Pilate in John 19 that Pilate would have no authority over him unless it had been given to him from above. Pilate does not have the ultimate authority to release or crucify Jesus. That authority comes from his Father in heaven. Jesus voluntarily humbled himself for our salvation and now is the exalted king And so the first question you must wrestle with is, will you bow, humbly bow, before this anointed king? It's sad that many reject Christ and choose a path that appears to be a path of strength, appears to be a path of great gain. Many choose a path that appears to give them all that they're looking for in life, a path driven by their own desires, a broad path, Jesus says, that leads to destruction. But one day, 
they, as all of us, will bow before the throne of Christ. All roads lead to the throne of Christ. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, okay? Not all roads lead to salvation, right? I'm not saying all roads lead to salvation. There's only one way of salvation. That's through faith in Christ. But no matter what road you choose to travel during your earthly life, you will one day end up at the throne of Jesus Christ. Some will be there willingly. Others will bow because they will be compelled to bow. But this is what Paul says, does he not? God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Willingly or unwillingly, People will bow before King Jesus. We have the privilege of voluntarily bowing before the throne and confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have the privilege of bowing before the throne, submitting our lives to the glory of Christ. We have the privilege of bowing before the throne, submitting our lives to the Lordship of Christ. Humility leads to glory. It's hard to come up with any other example of humility because Paul has just given us the greatest example, right? Christ himself. How can you come up with a greater example of humility than what Paul has given to us? However, there are various facets of humility in Christ's life and it's wondrous to think of the incarnation, the birth of baby Jesus in this light. The king of the whole universe comes, but there's no excitement. There's no fanfare. There's no red carpet. In fact, most don't even know that the king of the universe has been born. A king usually comes to collect taxes. This one comes to, with his family, to pay taxes. He's not born in a hospital with all the latest medical equipment. He's born in a barn with less than sanitary conditions. In Bethlehem on the road after a long journey away from family and friends, Jesus the King is ready to be born. Joseph walks up to that inn and the word is No vacancy. We don't have any room. We are full. If Jesus had been a president, if he had been a dignitary, if he had been one of the kings of that time, they would have made room. Someone else would have been sleeping with the donkeys. But it's only Joseph. Pregnant wife who may have already gone into labor. They settle for stables, the place where the animals are kept. His bed is a feeding trough, a box out of which animals are fed, a manger. Joseph took a feeding trough, cleaned it out, put some straw in it, and placed the newborn king in that box. 
What a contrast with the words that we read earlier of the angels to Mary. He will reign over the house of Jacob and his kingdom will be forever. But there was no room for him in the end. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Yes, but they laid his head in a feeding box. Humility in his birth. Humility in his life. Humility in his death that leads to a cross which leads to glory. Christ should be an encouragement to us. If others view humility as weak, that's okay. They saw Jesus as weak. If others see you as a failure, that's okay. They saw Jesus as a failure. What, what people don't realize is the strength in humility. What everyone in this world is desperately seeking, fame, a name, power, glory, victory, what everybody in this world is seeking. It's we who are in Christ. We are the ones who will receive fame, power, glory, victory under King Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Let's pray. Father, with what wonder we think about what you have accomplished for unworthy sinners through Jesus Christ. Your Son, our Lord, our Savior. May we have this mind in us that was also in Christ Jesus. That you would teach us how to put the interests of others even before our interest. That we might learn from our Savior Himself, what humility is. We thank You for the transforming power of Christ because without the transforming power of Christ, we would live very selfish lives. And so we give You all the praise for the grace that we have experienced. And for the wonder and the awe that we experience during this time of year, because we contemplate a little bit more than usual the birth of Christ, but even what we see in his life and in his death. May he receive all of our praise that we might be willing to offer ourselves as living sacrifices 
for his glory. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.